Hello and welcome to the Feed Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Feed Strategy Senior Reporter Ann Roos. My guest today is Dustin Pendle, a professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics at Kansas State University. Pendle was recently named Head of the Americas Region of the Collaborating Center for the Economics of Animal Health. This is a five-year project supported by the World Organization for Animal Health, which aims to develop decision-making tools and improve communication on the economic impacts of animal disease, ultimately improving the health of those animals. Hi, Dustin. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me today. Congratulations on your new role. Can you explain what you'll be doing at the Collaborating Center for the Economics of Animal Health? Yes, and thank you. So I'll, I guess I'll describe it a little bit, kind of the, the, the background, how we got to this point, I guess you can say. Uh, and so you, 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 you indicated that you know, we were awarded, we, Kansas State University and our collaborating partners, were awarded a, a collaborating center for the economics of animal health. Uh, myself and a colleague at Washington State University, we've actually been talking about this idea for three or four years now. And then back in February, March of 2022, I was contacted by somebody from the World Organization for Animal Health, or WOA as it's called. Uh, and they asked about the possibility of submitting a proposal to uh, run a collaborating center for uh, economics of animal health in the Americas region. And so the Americas region as defined by this organization, this global animal health organization is comprised of 33 countries in North America, uh, Central America, South America, and the Caribbean islands. And so that's just a little background of, of where, how we got to where we are today. And then, uh, you know, recently, about three weeks ago, K-State announced that we were awarded this center. And so kind of where are we going from here? I think that's, we're still trying to figure that out since it's so new. Uh, but kind of as the head of the center, you know, some of the day-to-day -day kinds of things, at least initially, I'm in charge of. Uh, I'm the point person for the World Organization for Animal Health of WOA. And so, you know, they've, they've reached out to me a few times for, for this or that. And so I've, I've had to, to, to be the, that go-to person for the rest of our collaborators. And, you know, when we have to do annual reports and stuff like that, I'll be the one that compiles all that. Uh, so far in the two and a half weeks that K-State announced that we've, we've had this center, you know, I've had one phone call the other day that somebody needed help with something. And so I just kind of redirected them to who they could be in contact with because it wasn't necessarily an economist they needed to talk to. It was it was a non-economist. And so I, I, you know, I can kind of point and direct people, resources, et cetera. Uh, I had somebody last week also visit about a research proposal to do some work in Chile in, in salmon and in farm salmon. Uh, I've had actually two other people reach out to me here in the United States also about collaborating on research projects. And again, one of those times they needed an economist, so I was able to help. The other two, I actually was able to direct them to other individuals who uh, might be better to suit their needs. And so that's some of the stuff I've done so far just in the last two, two and a half weeks, kind of the day-to-day. -day. Where I'm hoping we get to is more of the strategic kind of vision, the strategic plan with our collaborating partners once we come up with this plan together. And then I'll imp help implement that, uh, and, you know, where I'll be working with, you know, leaders in the various governments, whether it's USDA or the Brazilian government, uh, your animal health officials, 
you're working with industry leaders, uh, leaders of various producer groups, et cetera. So that's, that's where I hope that we'll eventually get to once we can start to, you know, get, get past this newness of this idea of the center and, and start to get to work. But all that said, I'm still a faculty member at Kansas State University. You know, I'm, I've got my teaching appointment, I've got my research appointment, and I've got my extension appointment. And so I'm still going to be doing those things now with probably just a much more narrow focus, right? So a lot of this is all going to tie back to some kind of animal health, economics and animal health, animal disease. Can you give a few examples of the economic impacts of animal health, good and bad? Yes. And so I've got uh, a couple, I got an example I'll give you, and then I'll talk about a couple real life uh, examples that we've seen here in the U.S. and globally, good and bad. So, you know, I was involved in a project that looked at the unintentional release of a foot and mouth disease virus from the National Bioagri Defense Facility. And we, you know, we worked with a large team of engineers, uh, meteorologists, veterinary epidemiologists, economists, statisticians, biologists, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so then what we did, this project was if we had a accidental release of foot and mouth disease. And so foot and mouth disease is, is, a, is a highly contagious disease that impacts cloven hood animals. So think cattle, swine, goats, sheep, you know, deer. So we had this, if we had this foot and mouth disease outbreak here in the United States, a hypothetical example, we had a meteorologist that modeled, you know, how it would get in the atmosphere, the humidity, the wind speed, and that, how it would carry. And then our veterinary epidemiologist would, would model the, the spread of the disease, you know, they need to know the prevalence rates, the, the transmission of the disease, et cetera, you know, through animals or human to animal contact. And then we as economists would model the economic impacts. Okay. And so then now we're getting to some of these good and bad uh, economic impacts. An example, if we had a very small animal disease outbreak and small by meaning in duration, it's very short. Uh, and very few animals are depopulated or culled, what would happen is we would lose international trade. So now I'll imagine, now you can imagine if we would lose export market access to for beef, U.S. beef and U.S. pork, right? We do export quite a bit of beef and pork. And so now if that beef and pork had to stay domestically because we lost international markets, what that's going to do is that's going to we're going to have more of that product in the U.S. And so what we'll see at the retail level, the grocery stores, for example, prices would fall. And so if you're a consumer of these products, beef, pork, as an example, all of a sudden you go to the grocery store, you're paying lower prices for the product. So that's a win. So as a consumer, you could win. It could be a, a good for you. Now, somebody's winning, somebody's got to lose, right? And so who's losing? Well, it's going to be the producers, right? Now, all of a sudden, there's not as, uh, as much demand for your product. And so what's going to happen is, is there's going to be lower prices uh, for those live animals at the producer level. And so what we would see is what we saw, or what we would see, I guess, in a hypothetical example is in a small outbreak, producers would lose more generally, probably, and consumers would be better off. 
Okay, so that would be a small outbreak. Uh, example we saw in highly pathogenic avian influenza in 2014, 2015 outbreak uh, in Iowa, just say rural Iowa. What we did, what, what we saw was there were teams of people that came in to help uh, depopulate barns of, of, of birds and clean up and dispose, et cetera. And so what that did was that brought people to these rural towns and these people from outside had to stay in hotels. So hotels were full. Well, those people in the evenings had to go eat somewhere. So we, they went out to the restaurants or they went to the grocery store and bought groceries. And so what we saw was some of these rural communities that were being impacted, layers were being impacted. We saw some of the non-agriculture, such as hotels, restaurants, uh, your mom and pop shops, stores, et cetera, they actually had a higher demand for their their for goods and services. And so they actually were better off. Now, you take the producers, right? If, if they weren't getting indemnity payments or if the indemnity payments were really small, what we saw, those would be your uh, individuals that would lose. So that would be an example of a real life scenario. Here's another example of this foot and mouth disease project. We got beef producers, you got swine producers versus grain producers, okay? And what we saw was when we have a disease outbreak and we a big disease outbreak that might last, you know, more than four quarters or more than a year, we lose international trade. We have to cull large number of animals or depopulate a large number of animals. When you do that, now all of a sudden, if you have fewer swine, you have fewer cattle to feed, well, guess, guess what? We don't need as much feed for those animals, right? And so what happens? The demand for your feed, feed stuff goes down, prices go down, and the losses, producers, crop producers actually, were, were actually some of the biggest losers in that foot and mouth disease example. Now, switching that real quick to a kind of a real life example, Right, we saw in, was it 2018, 2019, uh, African swine fever outbreak in China, where they had to depopulate a, a significant amount of their live animals, swine. And so what happened to US exports for hog feed products like soybean, sorghum? It went down, right? The demand, the international demand for US soybeans and sorghum went way down because they didn't need the feed to feed their hogs. And so what happens if, if fewer people need or demand our products, the prices fall. And so those are some examples of what we did in hypothetical modeling scenarios, but then we can also talk about what happened in real life animal disease uh, outbreaks. And so there are gonna be winners, there are gonna be losers uh, in, in these various scenarios and it can be by species, it can be producers versus consumers or anybody else along the supply chain. It can be, uh, or it can be, you know, grain farmers, such as your corn, your soybean, your sorghum, wheat, et cetera. And so there's gonna be winners, there's gonna be losers. Uh, and there's a lot of moving parts that are, that are, that are moving all at the same time. And so it, it's, you just got to take your time and, and just kind of step through all those various actors and various players uh, in this livestock, in the livestock industry to figure out 
who's going to win, who is going to lose, and then try to figure out by how much. And so that's what we as a center are trying to do to help governments, to help animal health officials, to help the industry, the producer groups, such that they can be better prepared for such events. All that said, what do you see as the biggest risk when it comes to economic well-being in this industry and why? Because you take some diseases. We have, you know, foot and mouth disease, right? Last time we had a foot and mouth disease here on the mainland U.S., I think it was 1929. Uh, maybe it was 1950s in Canada or Mexico. So it's been a while since we had, let's say, a foot and mouth disease outbreak, uh, just as an example. Uh, obviously, weather, you know, we, we talk about drought, especially here in Kansas recently. We've had, of course, the, the, the drought out west for the last couple of years. You have a lot of volatile markets, whether it's the, the corn or the feedstuff markets or this actual livestock markets. You know, that's a huge risk, I think. You know, we've seen a lot of labor issues since post-COVID, right? So there's a, a kind of a human capital possible risk. Do you have the employees? So as I think there's a lot of risks in agriculture, in the livestock space, whether that's finance, whether that's production, whether that's market risk, uh, production, I'm, I'm also including the, the animal disease. Uh, I just think there's a lot of risk out there. And I think a producer, you know, needs to, to, to think about these risks. They need to plan accordingly. There's a lots of different uh, risk reducing risk mitigation tools available, whether that be the futures markets or, or forward contracts or diversifying uh, your, your, your crops or livestock that you plan to grow, uh, things like that. But, you know, I, I just think a producer needs to think about all these risks associated with their own operation or business, and they need to uh, plan, plan accordingly. Yeah, there's a lot to think about. So this new project is a five-year project. What will the arc of the project look like over those five years? Number one, we're trying to improve our methods on how we estimate animal disease and animal health burdens. Uh, and, and, and where do these burdens occur? At what point along the supply chain, whether that's producer, whether that's the, the feedlots, you know, or the processors, consumers, uh, who, does the, who, gets, who has the biggest burden? What are some of the causes and risk factors of these? So that's our one first objective. The second one is to, we're trying to improve access to, and we're trying to standardize this animal disease and animal health burden information. So we're collecting, hopefully we're gonna collect more data, better, higher quality data. And then we wanna package that and put that together that's available for anybody uh, you know, that, that wants to download it and use it for their own uh, business management decisions. And then finally, the third thing is we want to improve the capacity to interpret and use animal disease and health burden information. So in other words, the way I think about this as a land, like it's kind of like a land grant university, right? We've got three kind of missions, research, teaching, and extension. And so this particular center, I, I, I view this as a lot of applied research. And when we take this research and apply it, we're going to extend that to the, the, the necessary stakeholders, whether it's a producer group, a, a government, animal health officials, so that they can take this information and hopefully make a better decision, whether that's on their own operation, whether that's for the country, for a, like a, an animal health policy or whatever it is. And so those are the three main 
kind of goals, I guess you can say, uh, that we have. And in, if you go online and look at our proposal, there's a, actually a five-year work plan that kind of talks about what we want to do, who we want to work with, um, those kind of things that are the, a lot more specific examples, I guess. You've said that in order for this project to be successful, it will need to include veterinarians, epidemiologists, and others. Talk about what you hope that collaboration across disciplines will look like. Oh, absolutely. And so just taking a step back, when I was a student in college, which is a long, long time ago, you know, I was working as an economist. I worked on teams with ag engineers, agronomists, soil scientists, et cetera. Because if you want to, if you want to uh, solve complex problems that deal with animal diseases or any kind of problem that's complex, climate change, et cetera, you can't be siloed and just have an economist work on it. Or you can't be siloed and just have a veterinarian or a human, a human health individual, right? When we think about diseases, animal diseases, which could be animal only, or they could be zoonotic, where it's both animal and human, it takes a lot of people to come together to help try to either control, mitigate, eradicate, prevent these kinds of diseases. And so it's going to take veterinary epidemiologists. It's going to take possibly human health epidemiologists. I envision engineers, right? People who do modeling, some of this in the simulation modeling, uh, computer scientists, uh, data scientists who can build infrastructure to store house data, dashboards, et cetera. Uh, of course, economists will look at the economics, but it's going to take a whole team of people, depending on what your issue is, what you're looking at, uh, to try to address some of these complex uh, problems that we hope to address in, with this center. It, this, this collaborative center, I think I forgot to mention, it, there's five universities that are uh, the kind of the key, key collaborators. You got Kansas State University, Washington State University, uh, you have University of Sao Paulo, which is in Brazil, University of Brasilia, which is also in Brazil. And then there is a university in Mexico called uh, National Autonomous University of Mexico. And so we are comprised of both economists and veterinary, veterinary epidemiologists uh, at these universities. And so specifically here at university, here at K-State, we have economists, we have veterinarians, uh, we have uh, epidemiologists as part of the K-State team. And so, uh, and I envision where we'll continue to extend into other disciplines like computer engineering, mechanical engineering, industrial engineering, et cetera, as we start to uh, address some of the issues and problems. I think you've partially answered this next question, but how do you expect the findings of this project to affect different parts of the supply chain? So, yeah, there's, uh, I guess, depending on what the issue is, who we're working with, et cetera, uh, there definitely will be different impacts along the supply chain. And so I, I'm not sure that we're going to work with individual producers per se at every single country all over trying to address a specific issue on their operation. But if we can think about, okay, we're trying to eradicate a disease, let's say uh, brucellosis in Brazil, as an example. You know, we need to figure out what's the prevalence rates. How do you treat it? How can we try to do this? What are the, you know, what are all those costs associated with doing that? But what would the benefits be? And if we can do that, we can then say, okay, go back to the, let's say the producer 
in this example, maybe cow-calf uh, producers, and then explain to them, show them, okay, if you were to do this, you might be able to gain access to, uh, to additional markets domestically or internationally, and this is what could happen with the prices. And this is how ultimately what the, the benefit could be. And oh, by the way, here's what the costs are, right? And so we can demonstrate that to that particular group. Now, if we put it maybe in a slightly different uh, context, the same problem, but maybe it's a different economic modeling framework. We then could say, okay, if, if the cow-calf producers are gonna benefit, cost benefit by this much, how does that translate to the next level, whether that's maybe a feedlot or maybe it's the producer or the, the packing plants of slaughterhouses? How does that translate into additional international trade or domestic consumer demand? And then, so you've got a lot of, you know, as we economists would say, we got a lot of supply and demand, you know, curves shifting throughout the entire supply chain. And so, Producers all along the supply chain, all the way to your final consumers, you know, there are going to be various impacts, right? As we discussed earlier, some could lose, some could win, some could win by more than others. And so it, it, it will, every example, I guess, every, every project will probably be a little different on scope of the stakeholder along the supply chain who we're trying to help or target. And, uh, then the results, again, could vary uh, depending on the issue, depending on a, a lot of a lot of factors uh, in that particular country or setting. Well, thank you so much and best of luck on this new endeavor. Thank you very much. You'll have to come back in five years and give us an update at the end of the project. Absolutely. Look forward to it. You can find out more about the Collaborating Center for the Economics of Animal Health at woah.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Ann Roos for Feed Strategy.